Hello and welcome to the Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And uh, we're starting off the new year by doing something a little different. We're doing what we're going to be calling one-shots. So we're going to take uh, three books and we're going to do them each an episode. Yeah. So what we did two books over the last year, uh, we're going to cover it all, all in one. And mm -hmm. so it's going to be long and short as we want it to be. Right. Yeah. So the... So this isn't going to be our permanent uh, way of doing things, but we thought we'd give this a shot <laughs> and uh, see how it goes with regard to these books. And then uh, after we get done with these, the plan is to choose one book and then go through it again as like our regular format. That's right. All right? That's right. Uh, so the first uh, book that we're going to be covering is The Heresy of Orthodoxy by Michael J. Kruger and Andres J. Kostenberger. I'm sure they're... Uh, parents didn't name them the same middle name, but they go by the J. <laughs> and uh, here, here's the, the summary on the back of the book. Beginning with Walter Bauer in 1934, the denial of clear orthodoxy in early Christianity has shaped and largely defined modern New Testament criticism. Recently given new life through the work of spokesmen like Bart Ehrman, spreading from academia into mainstream media, the suggestion that diversity of doctrine in the early church led to many competing orthodoxies is indicative of today's postmodern relativism. Kostenberger and Kruger, accessible and careful scholarship, not only counters the Bauer thesis using its own term, but also engages overlooked evidence from the New Testament. Their conclusions are drawn from the analysis of the evidence of unity in the New Testament, the formation and closing of the canon, and the methodology and integrity of the recording and distribution of religious texts within the early church. Yeah, so this book is rather scholarly, right, by these two uh, authors. They're scholars, obviously. Um, and uh, so, you know, that sounds uh, difficult to, to kind of put your head around in terms of what they're doing. We could probably summarize what they're doing is they're looking at what is the source and origin of Christian theology and the Christian scriptures, right? And then they criticize and show why what they call the Bauer thesis or the Bauer-Erdman mm -hmm. thesis, why right. it is wrong. And so the Bauer, so first of all, we have to get a, an idea of what is this uh, Bauer thesis that they're criticizing. And, and then we'll see how they criticize it. Uh, and uh, I, I think that will be helpful for us right. as we go through this book, right? Yeah, so the claim is that heresy precedes orthodoxy. So it's it's this theory that here's all these competing views out in the world. Uh, uh, Jesus was a demigod. Uh, Jesus was uh, fully man but not divine. Uh, Jesus was fully God and fully man. Uh, Jesus uh, had a a phase about him where he had no body, but his his representation of the spirit took corporeal form in some fashion, and you know then then he had him. Uh, seem seem to be crucified. So yeah. th those are a lot of different theories that are now in the world yeah. about about yeah. Jesus. And so uh, what Bauer said is that here here is where the starting points of those were were in the early church. And from there, you had warring factions. Uh, you had uh, disagreements. You had uh, might makes right. You had democracy in action. You had uh, you know, uh, uh, power rise up or uh, power decrease. And the, the thing that won the day, the thing that became orthodoxy, the thing that w what we would call um, ger germane to the to central Christianity won by the, by the might of 
the power yeah. of the Roman yeah. Church. Actually. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, that, that's a that's a big one for him. So yeah. th- that's that's what uh, when we talk about heresy precedes orthodoxy. Uh, that that's uh, uh, what his claim is. Right. So think of the idea that all of the f- <clears throat> false teachings about Christ, all of the uh, false gospels and writings that were uh, available after the second century, mm-hmm. and um, and those types of things. What he suggested is that those things came first. So the so. And they weren't false necessarily because they were they all had equal legitimacy. Right. And so all of these things came first, and then later on, the second through the fourth century, they uh, coalesced as a result of the power of the Roman Church. Right. So the traditional version of Christianity uh, that uh, that later came to be known as Orthodoxy or right teaching is but the form of Christianity espoused by the Roman Church after they consolidated their power, right, and emerged in this various power struggles through the second through the fourth uh, centuries. So the idea here is that orthodoxy, right teaching, did not come before heresy, Mm -hmm. but heresy, the wrong teaching, came before orthodoxy. And so you had all of these wrong beliefs, and the church just kind of decided by might and power which one they believe they were going to hold right. on to. Yeah. And since they had the power, they won. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if, if you've ever if you've ever heard um, the claim that uh, you know th- th- there were twenty two gospels out there and you know sixty four letters from Paul and the disciples and boy the the church was just passing around they had no clue the shepherd Hermas maybe the Didache who knows. Um, all those were out there, but it took Constantine to sit people down and say, no, there should be one deciding factor. And here arose the, you know, the Roman Catholic Church out of, uh, you know, Constantine's uh, uh, decree to allow it to become a state religion, which technically didn't happen until after his reign. But, you know, we don't look at history. We just make claims based on, on, on what on what we we've heard uh, a zillion and a half times on on different podcasts and whatnot um and so uh you know th- then that's where the canon arose from well that's not exactly the case and right. and so um it seems what bauer is doing is he's drawing a lot of his uh claims or his presuppositions if you will uh from how the world exists at his time mm-hmm. where you have competing theories that uh arise and you know you have different you have different schools of thought, and then they both present their evidences, and then um, from there, uh, you know, the 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 arising of of what's true comes. So uh, th- things like um, he claims that in a uh, that diversity occurred in larger areas like Asia Minor, Egypt, Edessa, and Rome, and that uh, church differed in end times interpretations. Uh, whether or not uh, metaphorical interpretation should uh, uh, take place uh, when it comes to scripture, um, Origen I think is a, is a big person that we think of when we think of um, this this type of uh, preaching. You know that everything just turns into metaphor, and suddenly you're you're making application um, of, from the scripture that it, it shouldn't have. Uh, the, things like backgrounds and explanations of of scripture too uh, differed widely in the church. And so that that's that tends to be Bauer's claim, and so Bart Ehrman tends to be a big big proponent. That's why he gets the hyphenated Bauer Ehrman hypothesis because he essentially 
took it and run. So all the misquoting Jesus and all, all, all his, his books have fallen well within the lines of what, um, uh, what Bauer, Bauer tried to, tried to accomplish during his time. <clears throat> and again, uh, 1934. So you have it, uh, stuck behind kind of enemy lines, not, not, uh, not being refuted or, uh, you know, everyone was, you know, uh, thinking about the war, not necessarily what different schools of German thought, which, you know, brought forth a lot of good and bad, uh, as, as uh, Bob Murphy taught, talked to us about, you know, good and bad economic views in, in Germany. And uh, and so um, no one really dealt with this. And so it became, con- you know, just continuously added to and, and, and not dealt with in the time. And so, um, so Bauer's theory continued to uh, disseminate within Germany. And then after the war, it took a long time until, like, I think it was the 1970s for translations for these German works to occur. So um, still, still in Eastern Europe where these, uh, the, this, this idea uh, continued. And then when it came over to America, then uh, we finally uh, were able to deal with it and handle it. But by that time... Uh, you're you're having to um, go against what uh, here becomes the orthodox yeah. attempt uh, of of explaining what, you know what 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 did the early church look like, and so um, Kostenberger and Kruger have 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 covered subjects like this before, and they've done a really well job. Uh, well, good job. You mentioned that it, it's it's a little bit on the uh, heady side for this book, but if you've ever read any of uh, Kruger's books before he it's the same type of um, breakdown of here's the good here's the bad here's a, a well thought out um, uh, critique yeah cr- it would critique but also he presents the theory well yeah. he, he he puts it He's in its fair. best light yeah. he is he is always very fair and Kostenberger is the same way uh, Kostenberger I think tends to be the 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 person that attacks it internally and then Kruger takes the external critique yeah, yeah. is how I probably would right. read their um, their additions to this book. So they suggest that, especially in academia, this Bauer thesis and the diversity thesis, you know, lots of uh, diverse uh, theological positions about Christ, lots of diverse um, uh, uh, writings that that were circulating all around and uh, finally coalesced. They suggest that in academia, this uh, has taken root, root and uh, therefore, it's, it, it has influenced the way that uh, academics think. Yeah. In fact, uh, the, um, the subheading for the uh, book, The Heresy of Orthodoxy, says how contemporary culture's fascination with diversity has reshaped our understanding of early Christianity. Right. So, um, so indeed, it, especially in you know, academia, this is uh, an important stuff. So they want to uh, examine it. And then uh, a critical examination of it, and show why they believe that it's it's not correct that this isn't the way that things were, mm-hmm. and that this isn't the way that things happen. Right? They break uh, their book down into three sections. Right? So the first section deals with the diversity of theological beliefs, uh, specifically about Christ and who He was and that sort of thing. Uh, the second session deals with the diversity of Scripture and the canon. Right. Uh, the picking of the books. There were a multitude of books that were circulating, especially uh, during the second and further centuries. And so how did we come to get the books 
uh, that we claim are part of the scriptures today, that we believe are part of the scriptures today. And then finally, the third part of the book has to do with the transmission of scripture. The idea here is that um, the scribes were either so ignorant and unable to transmit correctly that basically what they did was they wrote their own ideas and then eventually the church chose between <laughs> these various diversity of ideas and writings and um, and uh, made what we believe is uh, the transmission of the scriptures that we have today. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's uh, definitely a lot uh, that they do cover. It, 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 they do look at an internal critique. So they, they look at uh, the Bauer theory and they, they, they show that, well, how diverse was the early church? And they find out through um, just the, the studying of, of church history of, of, of what's available to us. Uh, not not too much. Not mm. not as much as as what uh, Bauer is claiming, and uh, a lot of it exists b- based on kind of these two claims: is is how diverse was the earlier church, and then how soon and how much impacted uh, heresy come in into play. Yeah, and what what they note is that Bauer did a couple of things that they that were we would say problematic had some <laughs> right. issues. Right. Yeah. Number one, he focused on the second century. And uh, and so there was a lot of things going on in the second century. A lot of right. uh, you know uh, heresies and that sort of thing began to arise during the second century. He also looked at um, uh, various geographical areas, mm-hmm. right? So that he didn't really focus on uh, you know the central core, the Jerusalem or Rome or that sort of thing. Right. And then thirdly, he kind of never really looked at the scriptures themselves, right? Right. I mean, he didn't pay close attention to what the scriptures were saying. Right. So these are three areas where they suggest he had some problems in terms of, and that's why he was coming up with these ideas. And and, and you do see that a lot from from those who want to critique the scriptures, that they never treat scripture as authentic documents within history, just just history themselves, that, that they just... Well, you know, they they make uh, theological claims, they make uh, miraculous claims. They they claim to be written by, uh, you know, or, or at least inspired by, uh, you know, an uh, omnipotent God. And so we just have to write them out completely. There, mm-hmm. There's there's no historical, there's no cultural facts. There's there's nothing that they could possibly offer. They have to be set aside. They're not eyewitnesses. Uh, you know, <coughs> shove them off to the side. They they don't exist. But again, you you don't do this for any any at all um, uh, early um, early documentation you, you don't you don't just write off uh, you know the Iliad and and, and um, the Odyssey uh, because they have fantastical claims you you look at it and you see that what what's being what's being written about who are, who are the the kind of the archetypal men in there and, and what do they tell you about the world existing or Julius Caesar's autobiography or uh, his biography comes something like a thousand years after he's lived and we, we we're okay with with you know uh, accepting that he existed and you know okay the man on the coin it might not be a hundred percent accurate to what's being written about in his biography but uh, you know, here are some facts, and we can pull from that. We just don't say, "Oh well, it's it's written in favor of a a positive uh, belief in uh, J- Julius Caesar," and so we have to put that aside. That's yeah. that's not at all because if you do that, you throw out any documentation really all up the, until yeah. you know all uh, of ancient history. <laughs> yeah, really, you yeah. you really do throw out a lot of ancient <clears throat> history. Now, from a certain perspective, we might suggest that what Bauer did was uh, 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 was appropriate. 
given his uh, presuppositions about Scripture and that sort of thing, right? If you assume that the Scriptures that we have and the teachings, the theological teachings that we had came later, then why would you look at the Scriptures, right? Yeah, In other right. words, they were... They were, you know, messed with. They mm -hmm. were, you know, they were uh, put together later. And so what he did was he, he didn't look closely at the scriptures. He looked at all of these various heresies that arose later. Right. And so what um, Kostenberger and Kruger attempt to do then is they, they conclude that the set of core beliefs known as orthodoxy was considerably earlier than Bauer suggested and more widespread and more prevalent than uh, Bauer and Erdman and others um, of the Bauer thesis mm -hmm. suggest, right? In other words, when you look at the historical context, what you see is that there were core central beliefs that were that were very early, right? Beliefs about who Jesus was, uh, uh, what he did, uh, that sort of thing. Right. And so um, the heresies, these various others' teachings, came out of the orthodoxy or the original teachings, the rule of faith is one of the mm -hmm. ways that they uh, capture this, that was around very, very early. Right. right? And, and, and one of the ways that we know about these heresies even is because uh, what, what Bauer is reading, what we're reading, are responses to the heresies. And so those are the things that exist for us. Now, you know, what, what, what does that say? Well, it seems to be that the, the, the prevalent orthodoxy, uh, assume, uh, we're assuming that orthodoxy came first. If orthodoxy did come first, then you would have a, a greater uh, abundance of these writings. Um, you would have uh, th these responses be both beneficial for responding to the heresy, but also just as learning about scripture and, and what actually is orthodoxy. So think about it like Athanasius. Athanasius wrote a book literally against heresies. Uh, and so what 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 do we know about the the tome he's writing to or, or for? And we only know that because of his writing against heresies. So um, we can draw conclusions based out of those, but we don't actually have those because they've they've rose and fell so so quickly. Um, and so having <clears throat> having the type of heresies that came out of the early church. Um, that uh, existed. These these people tended to believe that you know you you shouldn't uh, procreate and you shouldn't um, you shouldn't uh, like the physical realm. And so, if you have that type of belief, if you have that sect arising, that's going to be a short generation because yeah. you're not you're not procreating people enough to to continue that belief just within its own system. And so, um, you, you have them uh, fall out. Um, and so uh, one of the books that Kruger does write about later, uh, because uh, th there are questions that he kind of leaves on the table. So he kind of refers back to um, a, a, a book that he'll write later, because I believe this is earlier, uh, Canon Revisited, which covers what exactly is the canon and how was it chosen and how did it arise. Um, he also does one on the second century. So he covers exactly what... Um, uh, Bauer should have done, and mm -hmm. and we read that one, and that was really well done. And mm -hmm. you see, you do see a lot of problems arising out of the second century, but when it comes to the first century, the early church, you see um, orthodoxy responding to heresy, and that's the only way we know uh, what heresy is. Yeah. It seems so, like s the strong theology is is what starts, and then it gets attacked. Right. So just to give you a feel for how they write here and some of the things that they suggest here. 
with regard to Bart Ehrman, they say this. As in many places, Ehrman, Erdman places the conventional view in a virtual no-win situation. If the New Testament is held to be essentially unified, this, according to Erdman, proves that it was written by the winners mm -hmm. later, right, who chose to suppress and exclude all countervailing viewpoints. If the New Testament were to exhibit a considerable degree of diversity and an unsettled state of affairs as to which theological positions represent the standards of orthodoxy, this would be taken as evidence that the Bauer-Erdman thesis is correct and diversity prevailed in the earliest Christianity. Either way, Erdman is right and the conventional understanding of orthodoxy wrong. As a debating tactic, this is clever indeed, <laughs> but they say, will it work, right? So, Erdman puts the scriptures and the theological teachings in a no-win situation, right? right? Yeah. If they were diverse, hey, that's what I'm saying. If they were unified, well, that's what I'm saying. They were unified later. Right. So either way, he wins, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's what he does in things like misquoting Jesus because, you know, he, he wants to talk about, oh, there's all these changes to, to scripture, uh, but he himself will admit that what, what we get is pretty much what was there originally. Uh, but at the same time, if all the gospels said exactly the same thing, no person would look at that and go, oh, wow, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all had uh, great, great ideas. They were inspired by this uh, omnipotent, omnipresent God who inspired them to write all the same thing. Look at this. It's like, no, they just hit the control A, control C, <laughs> control V. You know, they, they, they just wrote their name at the top of, of you know, whatever... Uh, uh, a printer uh, or a copyist uh, copied that one. Okay, John, I have three copies for you. Luke, I need another one. So um, it's one of those uh, uh, heads I win, tails you lose that, that Ehrman, I think, I think he knows that <clears throat> what, what, he, what he brings up, and I think he's found his niche. And um, Kostenberger has, has written against um, uh, Bart Ehrman uh, in the past before, and mm -hmm. I think he also <clears throat> believes that um, it seems like Ehrman's questioning occurs when um, a close family member uh, dies in his family, and that's ultimately what sets Ehrman off on the path, not this look at, you know, what exactly were the words of Jesus, uh, um, you know, in, in the early church. And so, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the second part of the book has to do with the uh, regarding the diversity of scriptures and they their conclusion. Um, include things like despite the claim that apocryphal writings apocryphal writings should be viewed as co-equals or even superior to the canonical books the historical realities suggest otherwise all of the apocryphal writings are post-canonical productions and show dependence on the canonical materials so right. that's what they conclude as an after as a result of examining these various other scriptures and they list them and they go through these various other scriptures the gospel of peter and the gospel of thomas right. and that sort of thing they they go through these and show the uh, the problems with these various right. you know uh, the books apocryphal books and they suggest that these came later mm -hmm. in, in terms of uh, uh, the orthodox books that we have as part of the scriptures yeah and and they do uh, also a good job of, of representing history as it's laid out so Shepherd of Hermas uh, is is read uh, in the confines of the early church um, in, in the early days of of you know, not having completed works in some locations. Well, if all you have is, you know, First John, 
and maybe, uh, you know, First Corinthians, boy, you're going to be wanting to look for things like, you know, uh, the Pilgrim's Progress to, to include in, in, your, <laughs> in your selections of readings because, you know, the, uh, what you have is, is good and, and, and everything, but uh, you're looking for more. And um, if, if what uh, Pilgrim Progress matches with what you have in, in Corinthians and, and First John, then, um, then you, you might be more apt to use it. So they do a, a, a fair job of representing history, which can't always be said for everybody else in the other camp. And um, I, I think that's uh, also where uh, one of my favorite chapters is where they talk about what is the meaning of the canon. It gives the uh, historical and cultural background from a perspective that us Westerners don't really have. And um, I, I forget uh, Kruger's other book where, where he covers that uh, a, a bit more of, of what exactly um, drove uh, the apostles to write scripture and what does that what does that mean and, and looking at it from kind of non-western eyes and seeing um, that it actually harkens back to, to Old Testament contracts mm-hmm. and 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 um, mm-hmm. uh, or that, covenant. yeah the, 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 the covenant uh, uh, that that God made and and what the uh, prophets uh, did as well. Why did the prophets write instead of just proclaim? It's because they were taking down this this written covenant and saying, "Here, essentially, here's a contract, and and we're laying the foundations of of what is expected of you." And so, um, that's a really great book too. And uh, anything by Kruger, and I, I would recommend anything by Kruger. I, w- I would hesitate to uh, recommend everything by. Kostenberger because he's written so much that um, he's it's just uh, hard to pick out. But if you if you just walk through, uh, I think kind of the four main Kruger books, um, you just you you've you've got exactly what you need for how the canon was developed, where did it come from, why was it written, uh, what about possible changes, and and it's covered here too as well. Um, it's covered deeper in, in other books as well, too. But um, Yeah, so here's some of the evidences that they uh, give with regard to the, uh, the non-diversity of Scripture, right? Uh, for instance, they suggested there were early collections of the canonical books, right? One of the earliest expressions of an emerging canon comes from the well-known passage in 2 Peter 3.16, where Peter proclaims that Paul's letters are Scripture on par with the authority of the Old Testament. So that was an early book, and, uh, and, and, and so it, wasn't, it didn't come later, right? Another one is the early citations of the canonical books, right? Another New Testament passage routinely dismissed in canonical discussion is uh, 1 Timothy 3.18, for the Scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And they point out that this uh, phrase here is found only in the Gospel of Luke, (laughs) right? And so Paul is quoting the Gospel of Luke as Scripture, Mm -hmm. right? And so those are the types of evidences that they give with regard to... um, uh, how these, uh, how the early writings really were the canonical books, right? Um, the public reading of the canonical books. A number of Paul's epistles include commands that they be read publicly at the gathering of the church. 
and they cite uh, Colossians 4.16 and others, right? And so here, these folks viewed these very early writings as scripture. Hmm. They didn't come later, and they weren't determined or, you know, stamped by the church in the second through the fourth century right. as scriptures. Yeah. They were seen very, very early as scriptures. And the New Testament yeah. sees these uh, writings as scripture. And it's also a false idea that the Roman Catholic Church has this uh, unbroken succession of, of, you know, church history that it, it's the sole determiner of, of dogma and, and, and faith practices. Um, the Roman Catholic Church is unrecognizable in, in the, the early centuries. It's, 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 it comes way later than what they claim. And, and I'd, I'd hesitate for me to put a date on it, but there are other people that it, um, uh, that you can listen to that would put um, a, a much later dating than one or, or second century. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, it's a false idea to, to believe <coughs> that the Roman church had as much, I mean, if anything, if you, if you just look at um, where scripture's being reproduced and where writing's coming from, Egypt seems like the central <laughs> location of, of Christianity after, <laughs> after the fall of Jerusalem. It, it really, it, I mean, it was... Close. I, I I I wonder what would happen if uh, Satan never rose <laughs> up uh, Islam, uh, and 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 um, uh, what would happen if uh, you know uh, the 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 Romans of the different ages uh, didn't view Christianity as as uh, an enemy power to to go and defeat and burn books. I mean, like 300 A.D. Just early early. Um, uh, descriptions of burning Christian scripture and just what's lost and the very fact that we have anything from any close to that time period is amazing because mm-hmm. of just how sought after by the Romans uh, to, to burn Christian scripture did, did that occur and it's 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 sad but uh, it's interesting uh, how the church moved um, from Jerusalem to Egypt to then back to uh, kind of the Middle East and then Upper Middle East and Turkey and yeah, yeah. Th- th- there's a reason if you just look at church history, why things went where they did and why why things are viewed as you know oh well uh, you know Christianity is viewed as this kind of Eastern European Western European religion. It's because it was forced there. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. Finally, the third part of their book with regard to the transmission of scriptures. Uh, they suggest that over against the claims that the canon was open, right, right, to all sorts of writings until the 4th century and beyond, they argue that the theological convictions of early Christians pointed toward a canon that was restricted to books from the apostolic time period and thus, in principle, closed at the very outset, mm-hmm. right? So the canonical books were there restricted to these early apostolic writings and those who were, you know, um, uh, wrote um, uh, with the apostles, who were with the apostles and that sort of thing. So regarding this transmission of scriptures, they conclude four things here. The wealth of extant manuscripts show we have good reason to think that the original text is preserved in the overall textual tradition. We have so many manuscripts that clearly the scripture is in there somewhere. It doesn't mean that we don't have scripture, right? right? In fact, we have more than what we need to determine what the scripture is. Secondly, the vast majority of scribal changes are minor and insignificant. Right. So these are very minor. Thirdly, the small portion of variations that are significant 
Our textual critical methodology can determine, they suggest, with a reasonable degree of certainty, which is the original text, right? And finally, the remaining number of truly unresolved variants, these are the ones that we're not sure about, is very few and not material to the teaching of the New Testament. So those right. are the, the yeah. conclusions that they give with regard to the transmission of the scriptures, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, one of the books I, I would recommend if, if you're interested in getting into this is uh, by James White, uh, The King James Only Controversy. And in it, he, he I mean, he talks about King James Onlyism, but it's a very good primer for um, uh, th- things like uh, textual criticism and uh, looking at these supposed changes. In fact, it's through these changes that we can trace families of scripture uh, of 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 uh, you know t- different texts and and the transmission within the families is what they call them. Um, in fact, uh, there's going to be uh, uh, working um, in the future on um, having computer programs actually uh, look at uh, those types of changes and trace them down. It's, mm. it's really interesting stuff of what's, what will be coming out. And, um, uh, just, just, it's, it's, it's a really interesting s- subject and it, it was, the study of it has really helped, um, at least me to, um, have a, a more filled understanding of how we got, um, the, the, the Bible that we did and how, how well we can trust it. Mm. And it's one of those reasons is because of certain changes, but not, core changes that, well, was Jesus deity or was he not? You know, it seems like uh, we, we find uh, 50% of the time uh, Jesus says, why do you call um, me good? Uh, o- only God is good. And then the other half, he says, oh, no, no, o- only God is good. I'm not good. I'm not God. If, if you had a 50-50 split on that, uh, you know, that, that might call called in question. But um, when, when, when we can put notes in our scripture and say, uh, this verse probably wasn't in the original verse, but we're also including it to say, hey, we're not neither taking this away, but we have a note that's, that mm-hmm. describes mm-hmm. it. That's something that, that the Quran cannot do uh, because of uh, Uthman's revision of essentially burning early versions of, of, of the Quran and having one central uh, uh, scripture uh, for them. Um, and and so it's it's really uh, an interesting subject that yeah. uh, that we can more aptly trust the Bible because of those things. So what what Ehrman tries to say of four hundred thousand changes in the Bible, and you're like, wow, that's actually more more changes <laughs> than words in the New Testament. How is that possible? Yeah. Well, you you have to have more than just a bumper sticker. Um, claim that you have to work that out and what does that mean and what does that look like and and um so the king james only controversy is is a book that i would recommend for that and there are definitely other ones from ff bruce and and um several others that have written on the subject so um you can find those cells too so uh, in conclusion how would you assess this particular book i just just reading the third part of, of the book was so pretty much where they do a kind of an external critique of, of it is worth it. Mm. Um, the, 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 there are, uh, really good points that it makes just, I mean, Bart Ehrman is essentially at, at the time of this podcast is the number one critic of Christianity. And it's, he's probably the number one person that most people know to say, Oh, here's a former Christian who, um, is openly attacking Christianity and is doing a great job. It's not a, a Richard Dawkins or a Sam Harris that that uh, is opposed to all religion 
and um, is critiquing it from the outside. Here he is critiquing it from the inside. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. is a response to pretty much his worldview of how he uh, attacked Christianity, and it's it's shown to be flawed, and um, it, it, it should not be given as much uh, emphasis as it is. Now, can we learn stuff from, from Bauer and from Ehrman as well? Uh, yes, of course, and they've, they've probably done good work in the past, but... Um, this book does a great, great job of just taking Ehrman's feet from underneath them and just learning about um, the canon, uh, its its supposed revisions, its supposed contradictions um, uh, is is well worth reading. This book, so yeah, a yeah. plus. Uh, yeah, I, w I would agree. <laughs> this is uh, even though it's somewhat scholarly. I think uh, once yeah. you get the idea of what they're trying to 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 write against and how their their approach, I think it's under it, understandable and it's a good. They they do a really good job and they're fair with regard to uh, you know what they yeah. what the, what they say the other side is is doing yeah. and saying. Right? The, 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 it is it is scholarly, but there's nothing there, there's nothing in this book where you're like, oh, what does that abbreviation mean again? Yeah, or right. you know, it's it's not like reading a scholarly science textbook right. where you're like, uh, I Unless have no you know clue. the language, yeah. you don't you don't know yeah. what they're talking about. Right. No, they use, you know, they use common language yeah. and what uh, what you don't know usually they right. spell out so yeah. that you understand and, what and they're talking Kruger about. Kruger and Kostenberger, I mean, having both those powerhouses together, it, it's it's well worth the price of the book yeah. because uh, they do just such a good job elsewhere. They bring it together and, and they really knock it out of the park here too. Yeah, good. All right. All right. So we've done a book. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. uh, so there'll be links in the description for uh, where you can purchase this. Uh, and of course, uh, Amazon is the, the link that we usually uh, send you to. Um, so feel free there. And uh, um, we'll, we'll throw in um, Kruger's uh, website that uh, he, he does a lot of good blog writings. And uh, I'll try and find Kostenberger's too. I haven't visited his. But um, so uh, next time we'll do another uh, one shot book and um, we can. Uh, Continue on from there. All right. See you next time. See you.